Well, if you, uh, if you saw the emails that I sent, you, uh, you know that our theme this year is Parenting Through the Bible. You know, that's uh, got a couple of layers of meaning. You know, if you're a parent, even as Joe talked earlier, we want our parenting to be saturated with the Bible, to, to speak biblical truth and the words of Scripture to our kids. So we really want to be parenting through the Bible. That's how we want to parent. But we're going to focus more on a second aspect, which is we want our parenting to be shaped by the Bible. We want to live and function as parents according to what the Scriptures teach us. And so what we're planning to do this year is to study together key biblical texts that speak to parenting, some very directly, some more indirectly. And we're going to start tonight in Genesis chapter 2 and just work our way through the Bible, stopping at various texts that speak to issues of the family and parenting. You know, one of the the temptations as a a speaker teaching about parenting is to want to say something really clever or new or some, you know, magic secret that will transform all of your life and family. But the reality is that's not what any of us need, not to mention the fact that I have none of that for you to offer. But that's not what we need. We don't need something new. We don't need some gimmick. We need the wisdom of God in his word. And, and I think there's also a temptation as a parent to feel like you have to consume all the volumes of information that are out there about parenting in order to be a faithful parent. You know, there's so many books, blogs, podcasts that you can listen to and read in order to try to understand all the issues of parenting. You know, if you have a, a young baby and you walk into the grocery store and you look at all the different brands of, of baby food and you see what you can order online, it's like surely one of these is better than the others and you could spend countless hours researching to make that decision. You know, or you may have a toddler and you may think, oh, there's probably a blog post out there that talks about the best uh, incredible toy that stimulates mental energy and growth for my toddler. And if only I had that toy, I would be setting my child up for success, but I'll probably miss the post, you know, and won't, won't have it and my kid will miss out. I mean, there's just so much out there that we can feel the pressure to think, I've got to understand all this, I've got to process all this, or else somehow I'm not being a good or faithful parent. Well, I have good news for you. You aren't responsible for all the information out there. Again, make good decisions about baby food and all those kinds of things, but God doesn't hold you responsible for processing all the volumes of information that are out there about parenting. He holds you responsible for the revelation He has given about what that role is to look like and about how we honor Him in that. And so as we go, we're going to look at some passages that you're probably familiar with at various points. We'll probably look at some passages that you've never thought about or never thought deeply about, especially as it relates to being a parent. Um, But I I know and and I I am, am encouraged by the fact that that's what we need. If you and I can come back to the basic, simple realities that Scripture teaches about parenting in in the variety of ways that it does, God will 
be honored regardless of what we miss out there in the world and, uh, and as we strive to be faithful. So that's our goal this year. It's just to camp out in, in particular texts. I hope they will resonate with you. I hope you will take them and meditate on them after our times together. Again, typically we'll have small groups after our lesson where we get to process for a little bit what we've learned and what we're thinking about as we seek to apply that in our lives. Uh, but that's our goal. Nothing fancy and flashy, just digging into what the scriptures teach about ministry to the next generation and, and ministry as parents. So tonight we're going to start in the beginning, the beginning of the family. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to focus mostly on the end of chapter 2, but we'll spend a little time in chapter 3 as well. And just to remind you of the context of this, God has, has dis, uh, described the act of creation in chapter 1, including the creation of man and woman. And then chapter 2 really zooms out from that creation of man and woman in, in the end of chapter 1 to give a detailed look of that process of how God created man and woman and the instructions that he gave to them. In verse 18, he really focuses on the relationship between the man and who will become his wife uh, on the establishment of the family. Pick up with me in verse 15. It says this, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. And then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names, gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I want us to begin thinking about God's design for the family. What we see here at the end of creation is God establishing the family unit and instructing us in what is to characterize the family. I want us to see three main overarching principles about God's design for the family. The first I want you to notice is that God is the authority over the family. And this is largely lost in our world today. God is the authority over the family. Chapter 1 began, in the beginning, God. And God spoke all things into existence. In our text tonight, how does it begin? Verse 18 says, Then the Lord Yahweh God said. God is speaking 
authoritatively. He has already commanded Adam and given him instructions for what he is to do and what he is to not do. God is the creator. He is the one who initiated and designed the family. Because that's a basic principle, right? It's really simple to recognize that God is the one who was the author of the family. Why why does that matter? What does it mean? Obviously, it means God is in charge. He has the right to tell us how to think and the right to tell us how to live in this and every other area of life. But, But it's not just that God is in charge and so we should kind of begrudgingly say, okay, fine, we'll do it God's way. It's that God made us and he established the family for our good with a particular design in mind. He is the most qualified to tell us how we should think and live. So guys, we are not simply obligated to live God's way because he's God and he told us to, but it is wise for us to embrace his instructions. It's wise for us to say there is nothing more important for me than to consider what does God say, which is the same really as saying what does the Bible say about how we should think about everything in life, how we should live in every area of our life, and particularly for our focus, how we should function as a family. It also means that the most important thing for your family is to lovingly and humbly come under the authority of God. There is nothing more important for you to teach and to model for your kids than the reality of God as authority. Now, in our world today, authority gets a pretty bad, uh, bad rap. We, we don't like authority. You know, most of, of us grew up at a time where, where that was more the natural perspective of the world, where authority was, was looked down upon. But it is our job as parents to embrace God's role as the rightful authority and to help our kids understand the joy of being under authority. And that's not primarily our authority as parents. You know, the Bible does talk about children obey who? Your parents. And, and we can be so focused on that that we forget that authority is underneath God's authority. Your kids learn to be under God's authority by first being under yours and by seeing you live under God's authority as well. God is the author of the family and he's the authority over it. A second principle we see is that marriage is the foundation of the family. As God establishes mankind and human culture, he begins with the family. And as he establishes the family, he begins with marriage. Which is why Satan works so hard to attack marriage. Certainly that's true generally in our culture. Marriage is under attack. We, we live in a day and age where it's being redefined in all kinds of ways where divorce is just a a part of the decision-making of so many, but it's our marriages in particular. God, God values marriage, and so Satan works tirelessly to undermine it. We see in verse 18, God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. You know, if you'd never read that verse, and you were reading through Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you would be stunned by that. Because back in chapter 1, verse 10, God created and it was good. 
Verse 12, it was good. Verse 18, it was good. Verse 21, it was good. Verse 25, it was good. Chapter 2, verse 18, it is not good. Did God make a mistake? No, he, he just wasn't finished yet. He, he wanted to emphasize the, the reality that this is not how it's supposed to be. And so God created marriage, and he did so for some very specific reasons. Notice what he says. He says, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. We see a number of reasons why God created marriage in, in this verse and the following ones. The first is that marriage provides companionship. God said it's not good for the man to be alone. He needs a helper. He needs someone on his team. He's not to be a one-man band. You know, this speaks of the, the depth of relationship that is to characterize marriage. I, I, I don't want man to be alone. He needs a helper. Ultimately, a helper we'll see in verse 24 who becomes one with him, who is one flesh. There's a, a unity and a oneness. It's also clear about the, the role relationship. This companionship is a mutual relationship, but one in which there are roles. He says there's, to be, there's a need for a, a helper, someone to come alongside to help the man fulfill what God has commanded. But it's not just companionship. Marriage also brings completion. Notice he says, I will make a helper suitable for him. Or, or your margin notes might say literally that's corresponding to. Think about puzzle pieces that fit together to make the full picture. If you only have one piece, you're, you're missing something. This is a God's design for a, a suitable helper, a fitting helper, one who corresponds to. You know, I, I think we can think of that just generally in terms of roles and the relationships that characterize any particular marriage. They fit together when we follow God's intent and design. But it's also true individually for us. I, I don't know about you guys, but my wife Christy and I are different. We, we have different backgrounds, different personalities, different strengths and weaknesses, different perspectives, and we are better together than we were apart. And now those differences after 20 years of marriage are, are fading to some degree. You know, we, we think uh, alike in a lot of ways, but it's different than what either one of us would have been on our own. We're suitable to each other. We complete each other. We benefit from each other. That's how God intends marriage to be. It's not one party dominating the other, one party giving up themselves to, to join with another. No, it's, it's suitable, corresponding to, completing one another. We also see, alluded to in this text and earlier in chapter 1, that marriage was designed by God to produce children. It's a blessing to procreate. We see this back in chapter 1 where God created man and woman in his image in verse 27, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Part of God's design and intent with marriage is procreation, to have children. It doesn't mean that every marriage will produce children. It doesn't mean that every marriage should produce as many children as possible. But that children are to be an expected and blessed fruit of marriage. Again, this is largely lost in our culture, which, which views children as as an inconvenience, maybe something that disrupts life. You know, something maybe you want at some point when all the stars align just right and you can, can do it. You know, it's, it's a blessing to have children and an expected part of what should characterize our family. 
not just a blessing to have them, but to raise them, to, to be involved in, in their life. A fourth reality about marriage is that it pictures Christ. We don't see that in this text specifically, but as, as the revelation of Scripture unfolds, we see that marriage was not simply designed by God for our sake in human relationships, although it was that, but it was a picture of a greater reality, that of the gospel of Christ and the church. Well, what is marriage to be? Here we see God goes on and, and he's looking for this helper suitable for him. He, and Adam looks at all the different creatures that God has made and there's no suitable helper. You know, a dog is man's best friend, but it, it's not a helper suitable for him. You know, and so he's going and, and so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon him. He took one of his ribs, fashioned that into a woman, and the man sees the woman and he says, wow. This is what I've been missing. This is what I needed. This is the helper who is suitable. She is, is called woman. She is, is one of, of me. She's taken out of me. And, this, um, and so God takes this man and this woman, and, and in verse 24 is that first wedding. He's, he's performing to, to join them together. And he says this, the definitive statement God makes about marriage quoted at multiple places. If we had time, we'd look at it. He says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You want to know what God thinks about marriage? This is what God thinks about marriage. It's a man leaving his father and mother, being joined to his wife, and them now living together as one flesh tells us that marriage is a monogamous, heterosexual relationship. We shouldn't have to define that that clearly. But it's a man, singular, leaving, being joined to his wife, singular. One man, one woman. That's marriage. And it's the priority human relationship. He says you leave your father and mother and you be joined to your wife. It's a higher priority than your relationship with your parents. It's a higher priority than your relationship with your children. It's the priority human relationship. And it's to be a permanent one. He says, this is two becoming one flesh. They are joined together. It's not just about the length of relationship, although that's true, but the, the intimacy, the connection of that relationship. A sharing together all things in common. Is that's God's intent for your marriage and for mine. If your marriage is not what God intends, your parenting won't be either. It starts with that. And, and maybe that's where you need to start as a couple is to say, man, we've got to think seriously about our marriage. We've got to be focused on what God calls us to as a husband and a wife. So God is the authority over the family. Marriage is the foundation of the family. And third, we see children are to be raised to leave and start their own family. Some of you moms read verse 24 and you say, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and you think of your little two-year-old son leaving you and your tears start to come in your eyes. And I get that. Um, my, our, our oldest is, um, is 19. She's had many friends who are like a year older than her get engaged or married and it's kind of hit her and also hit us. They're like, oh, this could actually happen someday. Um, which is a, an exciting thing. But it's like, oh, as parents, that's, that, we got to recognize that's the goal. The goal is not to keep our kids. The goal is to train them to leave and to be joined to their spouse. 
That's the goal is that they would establish their own family, not severing all relationship with us, but changing those relationships. One of the reasons God designed marriage is to impact the next generation to see other families raised up. That's to be our heart. As we talk about parenting this year, that's why God says a lot of what he says, is to prepare the next generation for their own marriage. So you say, well, hey, that's, that's great, that's easy. No worries, let's do it. What's so hard? Well, you know, secondly, we see in chapter 3, sin's destruction of the family. Now, we're not going to spend much time on this, but I, I think if we start in chapter 2 and then we jump to the next text that speak about parenting, we miss something really key, which is the entrance of sin into the world. Because all the other instruction given to parents is given to sinful parents who are living in a world that has fallen, who are parenting as sinners, and who are parenting sinners. Because we see first the fall into sin. You're familiar with the account. If it's been a while, you can go back and read it in verses 1 to 6. We see Satan undermines God's design. He goes to Eve, to not Adam. He questions God's word and God's goodness, and they give in to the temptation and they sin. And there are some catastrophic results of sin in verses 7 to 16. The first is broken fellowship. You see, their relationship with God is severed. They hide from God. Instead of walking in fellowship with Him, sin separates us from God ultimately in death, spiritually and physically. But it also separates their relationship with each other. Instead of the intimacy and unity, there's now selfishness and and pride and, and it disrupts the relationship that was there, which leads to blame shifting in verse 9 when God comes and says to them, um, Lord called a man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you and, and he, I was naked so I hid. He says, who told you? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave from the tree and I ate. Sin enters and now we're pointing fingers. Adam says it was actually her fault. Actually, he says it was your fault, God. The woman who you gave to be with me. You see, that's sin. It comes in, and rather than us owning our sin, we want to shift the blame. We, we are no longer one in unity. We're two, and we're pointing fingers at each other. Sin leads to broken fellowship, to blame shifting, and, and to family difficulty. Skip down to verse 16, and, and God says this to the woman, as a result of sin, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth being as this is not a young marriage group who hasn't had kids, I don't have to go into great detail, you understand that's not a pleasant reality. He says, in pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. See, the reality is because of sin, parenting is hard. Having kids initially is hard. Having kids in an ongoing way is hard. It's not easy. We, we see down after this, God speaks to Adam and, and he just reminds him of the futility of life. You, you're working hard on things and you feel like you're not getting anywhere. And that's also how we feel oftentimes in parenting. It's like we, we changed a diaper and we got to change another one and we just keep doing this over and over and over and we feel like we're not getting anywhere. God says this is the reality of parenting in a fallen world, but it's worse than that. Not only does sin undermine just the, the fruitfulness of life, but it, it twists what God intends and designs. Look at the end of verse 16. He says, Your desire, the woman, 
will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. See, the wife's desire will be for her husband, not the desire to be with him, not the desire to help him, the desire to conquer or to rule like we see in in chapter 4, verse 7, when it says sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. That's the desire the wife is tempted to. Ladies, I know, I, I don't know all of you personally, but I know you are tempted to want to rule over your husband. You are tempted to want to be the one in charge. When God says no, you are the helper. And men, how do you respond in a sinful way to that? He will what? Rule over you. Not the loving, sacrificial leadership God intends, but I will rule. You may say, that's not me. I'm passive. You know, I, I don't try to dominate my family. No, you, you, you try to rule differently. You say, you, you won't manipulate me. I'll, I'll do whatever I want. I'll just do it quietly in the background. Some rule more in a domineering way. That's the result of sin. You guys understand, if you just do what comes naturally, that's what you will do. That, that's the reality. And yet there's hope because of third, the gospel's provision for the family. The gospel's provision for the family. Because if we stopped in Genesis 2, we'd think, all right, we got this. If we stop in Genesis 3, we're tempted to think, this is a mess. But the rest of Scripture gives us hope and help. We see that alluded to even in Genesis 3. Verse 15 says, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and, and you shall bruise him on the heel. He says, one day there's coming a man, a descendant of woman, who will crush the serpent, Satan. There's coming one who will be the Redeemer, the Rescuer, the Savior. In the meantime, that's pictured in verse 21 where God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Man, the woman had sinned. They made fig leaves, sewed fig leaves for their clothing and God killed a substitute, an animal, to make clothing to cover them. It's a picture of what was coming in Christ. You see, our only hope to be anything remotely close to what God intends as a married couple, as parents, is the hope of the gospel. I put 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 21. You can read through that later on your own time. But it gives the motivation and, and the means by which we can live as God intends. It's a familiar verse. reminds us that if anyone is in Christ, he's what? A new creature. We're different. Now we can live not in the curse of Genesis 3.16, but we can live the way God intends and designed for us to. Not perfectly, but with a new nature, a new love, new affections. And, and it gives us the motivation for that. It says we live no longer for ourselves, but for Him who died and rose on his, our behalf. We, we live for Christ, not for us. We are motivated as parents not because of us, but because of what Jesus has done. And it really sums up for us our purpose as parents, which is we are now ambassadors for Christ. That's our goal. As moms and as dads, there's all kinds of things we want to be true for our kids, but chief among them is we want them to be reconciled to God. And we recognize that's a huge part of why God's put us in their life, is to declare that truth and to direct them to the hope of the gospel. So guys, God established the family he gave a good design that we're to follow. 
Unfortunately, sin takes that and twists it and warps it. And we, if we are in Christ, now get to spend the rest of our life living out the new creation God has brought about in us, renewing our minds and striving to live in conformity to what He has said. It's going to be our joy to consider those truths together over the course of this year. I hope that you will come with a fundamental understanding that God is the authority. Whatever He says goes. And you will recognize your marriage matters. God has intended for your marriage to be a picture to your kids. And you will come saying, you know what, there's all kinds of things the world tells me about what a good parent is, but I care about what God says in this book. That's our joy to study that together. Look forward to jumping in uh, next time. Joe will be teaching from Exodus chapter 20. You can read that and see what it has to say about parents as you prepare your heart for that. Let's pray together and you can go grab your kids. Father, we're thankful to be together in person considering your word together. We're thankful for the truth that your word contains, for your good and wise design. And we just confess how marred our hearts and minds are because of sin and we're eager to continue to be renewed in our thinking and and to live in a way that would please you as parents. Lord, use our fellowship to spur us on to that. Use our lessons, our time of discussion to direct our hearts towards you. We love you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen.